0: At this time, grab your Bibles and, uh, we gotta get going here. Uh, we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter six. Nehemiah chapter six this morning. So if you would grab your Bibles and stand with me as we give attention to the reading of God's word here in Nehemiah chapter six. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to them to him saying, no such things as you have, as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabal, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please pray with me. Father, this is the day that you have made. And Lord, we will rejoice and be glad in it. One, because as we just saw, that the gospel is for every person of every nation. And one day, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be gathered around your throne worshiping you. And Lord, we look forward to that day. But until then, we have some work to do here. And so, Lord, may each one of us play a, a, a role in the mission, whether we are goers or senders. So the good news of the gospel, what saves people, that, that takes people from life to death, may again go around the world. So, Lord, this is the day we rejoice and are glad in it. And before we get into Nehemiah, we just want to pray for Florida and the, and the southeast and, and all those feeling the effects of Eden. Uh, of Eden. Of Eden. Lord, please let the gospel go forth. Let the gospel, not in word, but also in deed. Let the people um, be served. Give them wisdom and direction and, and, and power for those that don't have it yet. And just the, the cleanup job and then to move forward. Lord, again, we thank you again for this day. For this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, good, Nehemiah chapter 6, we're about halfway through the book of Nehemiah, and all of us probably have leaders that we look up to, uh, men, women that we look to for for wisdom on how to live life or how to do a certain job. Uh, leaders have tremendous influence, and we know this, and, they, and their influence could be for good or it could be for ill. I've been, by God's grace, been in leadership for over 30 plus years in a number of of, of contexts, from from student council, vice president in high school, all the way to you know sports teams, and then uh, FCA ministry, and then also the church. and 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 the responsibility of leadership has always weighed heavy on me because it weighs heavy in Scripture, and it's always put me on alert with a holy fear. There was a time early on in my ministry, FCA, I was in my upper 20s i uh i was responsible for the southeast portion of new mexico um you guys have heard the Bermuda triangle this was the new mexico triangle of, of roswell carlsbad and hobbs and there was times where i was like man i i made it out of the the new mexico triangle with all the aliens down there in roswell new mexico you know but there's one trip in particular, I went down to do some leadership training. And I went down there, and I stayed at a, a hotel. It wasn't like a hotel with just one big building, but it was one of those like fourplexes where you drove up, and they had like, uh, their separate hotel right there, the fourplexes. And I drove up in the, into my room, and I got it, and as soon as I shut the door, there was a knock on the door. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. I just walked in the door, all of a sudden there's a knock there. So I opened up the door... And there are two young 20-something girls there, not dressed for Carlsbad, New Mexico, but more like an L.A. club scene. And they're like, is so-and-so here? I think it's, is John here. He has called us to come and entertain him and party with him. And I was like, ain't no John here, just me. And I could just feel something, just discernment kind of pop in my bones. They go, well, he's not here. How about if we come in and entertain you? And I did it with a holy rudeness. I said, no, thanks. Bye. Could slam the door. And I, I was never more scared of two 20-year-old girls in my life than right then. But the reason why is because I understood that at that moment my decision could have ripple effects through my wife, through my kids, through my ministry. And in particular, for the kingdom of God. Leadership has its responsibilities and has ripple effects for, again impact for good or ill and, and the reason why i got attacked from that is because uh, we revitalized that uh, the lord used me to revitalize southeast new mexico and the gospel was going forward and kids were getting saved and coaches and families were going and we've seen in nehemiah that whenever the kingdom of god when the people of god and the kingdom of god start to grow there's going to be oppositions from the kingdom of darkness from satan and he's going to attack. He's going to attack the people. But in particular, as we see here in Nehemiah 6, he's going to attack the leader. And this is, again, where we find ourselves in Nehemiah 6. He has about to accomplish the great work that the Lord laid on his heart in Nehemiah chapter 1. When he heard that his his people, his city, the city of God, was in ruins, was vulnerable he prayed, the Lord put this, this vision and mission on his heart to go and rebuild the wall and rebuild the people of God. And as he's about to finish that, again, there's another attack on the people of God and in particular on Nehemiah. When the kingdom of God led by the people of God starts to grow, the enemy opposes and resists that work. And this is what we again seen in Nehemiah. The first attack started with the people. We saw that in Nehemiah chapter 2, just briefly, this verbal attack. They just tried to verbally attack them and, and tried to uh, ruin their self-esteem and to work. And then they had threats of physical violence, in particular in Nehemiah chapter 4, where these, these guys, Sambalat, Geshem, and the Arab, come against uh, the people of God. But here in Nehemiah 6, all those other attempts have, have have not been successful, and now when all else fails, they, they, they zero in on Nehemiah, they zero in on the leader. And what we can see is not much has changed in our day, through Nehemiah's day. When all else fails, the enemy, Satan, is going to attack the one leading the charge, leading the mission of God. And so that begs the question in here for all of us, well, who are the leaders? Well, if you're a Christian, you are a leader. If you follow Christ, you are a leader. Everyone in this room is a leader at some level in the faith. First and foremost, we lead ourselves. We lead our own lives. Paul told Timothy, pay close attention on yourself and on your teaching. Why? Because everyone around you, where you live, work, and play, you have an effect on. And they're looking at you. So first, we lead ourselves. Second, some of us lead families. We lead spouses. We lead kids. Some of us lead businesses and and co-laborers in in our workplace or or students. Some of us lead our friend groups. All of us in here are leaders. All of us in here have influence for the kingdom of God. Therefore, that makes you an enemy of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. And Nehemiah this morning helps us live out God's desire, helps us live out God's mission for your life and my life. In our lives, despite how the enemy might try and cancel us over and over again. And so today we're going to see some principles on how Nehemiah, how Paul, how Jesus, how you and me can resist that opposition and walk by faith and righteousness as leaders. So we see attack number one. We see the tactics of the enemy is distract you, the leader. It's this distraction. Look at Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. And we see this first attack comes actually in two parts. Uh, there's a subtle distraction, and then there's a not-so-subtle distraction. Look at verse 1. Now, San, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and there was no breach left in it, although I had to time to not set up the doors or the gates, Sanballat, Geshem, sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakoparim in the plan of... Oh, no. In the plane of Oh, no. So we see Sam Ballot and his group of yahoos again are come on the scene. They have failed in their attempts over and over again to distract, to resist, to oppose, to stop the work that the Jews in Nehemiah were building. So they decide to again zero in on Nehemiah and trying to distract him from finishing the job. And they say, hey, Nehemiah, let's meet in Oh, no, this place. You've been working hard. It's time for you to take a break. You've done great labor in these 50 plus days. Why don't you just take a break? Come visit us up, uh, in the city of Ono. And he says it four times. Say, we, we're not going to harm you. We, we just want to make peace. I know we've been kind of, you know, idiots toward you and trying to stop this work, but, but let's just be peace now. It was like a, a peace summit. It's like all the leaders in the area saying, let's, let's come to this and have a peace summit. We want to make peace with you, Nehemiah. And they tried to make this happen. Now, Ono, as, as many of you guys might know, is uh, where John Lennon's late wife is from. Ono. Oh, um, Yoko. Oh, oh no. Oh, dad jokes. Gotta love him. Um, This is about 20 miles northwest. And again, this is a city that they, they go to. They're trying to pull Nehemiah away from the wall and what he's trying to do. But Nehemiah sniffs out the deception. It says in verse 2b that Somehow, he he, whether discernment or he had spies, it says they he learned that they tried to do him harm. So he does not fall for it. He does not fall for the deception. He says no to it. And one of the main reasons why he says no is because he's so focused and concentrated on what the Lord has for him to do. He's concentrated on the mission of God, and is not, nothing's going to distract him from not completing what he's been called to do. So verse 3, he says, sorry boys, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. He doesn't say like, hey man, I'm busy. Hey man, no, I don't have time to do it. No, you can hear the conviction in Nehemiah's heart. He says, I am doing a great work. He's a laser focus. He has conviction on what the Lord he's done, and nothing is going to stop him. We have the same enemy that attacked Nehemiah, attacks you and me. We have all been called on mission to, to make disciples and to love God and to love our neighbor, to serve where we live, work, and play, and the different varieties in our circle of influence and every different hat and influence that we have, and yet the enemy will try subtle distractions to get you off that mission. And what we need to say is, oh, No. To the enemy. There's a, a great story of Henry Aaron. He's one of the great home run power hitters all time in Major League Baseball. And they're playing the Yankees. Yogi Bear, he's a catcher for the Yankees. I think they're in the World Series. And there's this story. Hank Aaron comes up to bat. And and Yogi Bear catchers, tell me what they try to do. They they chirp a lot at the batters. You guys might not see this on TV, but when you go up the catcher, some of these catchers are chatty and relevant, and they're talking about everything from your mom to your kids to you know the the weather. And, and what Yogi Berra did, he's like, hey, Hank, you, you're holding your bat wrong. There's labels on the bat. You're supposed to hold it in a certain way. He so says, you're supposed to hold your bat so you can read the labels. You're holding your bat wrong. If you swing and you hit something, it's going to break and you're not going to be able to get a hit. And the story goes that Henry Aaron didn't respond. The next pitch comes. Boom. Henry Aaron hits a home run. He's running around the bases and when he comes and crosses home plate, Henry Aaron said this to Yogi Berra. I didn't come up here to read. I came up here to hit. He was focused. He was concentrated on the mission at hand. And it is the same with us. We need to be focused and concentrated on what the Lord has called you to and me to. And when the people of God start to build the kingdom of God, there is going to be distractions. And it's going to start off as subtle. And sometimes the enemy is even going to give us good things to distract us from our mission. And we need to be so focused, so concentrated that we we know what the things are, the better things are. So we're not distracted by the good things. Again, a conviction and laser focus. I I get a number of opportunities uh, to to speak uh, at other churches, at men's conferences, at, at coaching church planners and stuff. And and early on, I would almost do everything. Anytime someone would ask me to do something, I'd be like, Yeah, I'm going to go do it. And I found out that a lot of those times, what it did is it took me away from the the mission, the main focus of what I was supposed to be doing then here at the crossing or other levels. And so Philippians 1-9 became a a kind of a a life verse for me to kind of give me discernment on, on, on what things I should do, what I should accept to go speak at, and what I shouldn't do. And it says this, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. So so, so this verse kind of guided my direction when these invitations came with wisdom and understanding, discernment. Is this something that's going to be excellent or just good? Because I want to be laser focused and do what God has called me to do in an excellent manner, not just a good manner. And so this is the grid in which I have, and now I kind of summed it up in three areas whenever I get these offer, First, if, if this is going to be a distraction, I said, is it going to affect my faith? Is this something that's going to affect my walk with the Lord, my vertical relationship with the Lord? If it is, I say no to it. Second, is it going to affect my family? Is it going to take me away from my roles and responsibilities to my family? If it is, no. And third, my fellowship, my job, my church. So this is the grid now that I look through when these invitations come. Is someone trying to distract me? This is my grid. What is your grid? What do you walk through when invitations, opportunities come up? First and foremost, do you have a clear conviction, a clear focus on what the Lord has called you to do to build his kingdom? If you don't, that's number one. You need to have a clear conviction so that way there's a saying that I like to use time. If you don't, if you don't have a goal, you'll hit it every time. You want to have a specific goal in mind so that you know where you're walking, what you're called to do. Do you have a conviction, a conviction and a laser focus first on your life and the mission that God has called you on? And second, what is the grid when those other things come to get you distracted? Do you have a, a grid in which to say no to these things? This is what Nehemiah did. Second, this is the second half. So that was a softball distraction. Here's the second attack. The second attack is uh, false accusations. It's false, actually. It's deceit. It's slander. Look at verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time, the fifth time, sent his servant with me to an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and the Geshem also says that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. We're entering the, the political season here. Well, I, just, I don't know if we ever get away from the political season, right? It always starts, seems later and later. And now we're going to start to see the commercials of what hardball tactics they call it in politics, right? Where they start to attack the opposing candidate. Character assassination. This is what they're doing to Nehemiah. They're trying to slander him, to destroy his character, to, to, to send this Open letter, again, details matter. It means it wasn't a sealed letter. That means they sent it all around the region. Whoever got it could open it and could read it and could hear the accusations on Nehemiah that you're you're going against treason against the king. You're rebelling against the king. You want to be your your own king. And they're hoping that the word, the news, would get back to Nebuchadnezzar and Susa so, so Nebuchadnezzar would come and take Nehemiah out. This is slander. This is character assassination. This is political hardball. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever been in a situation where people are out to destroy your character? Where, where they're out to, say, spread rumors and lies about you for whatever reason, to, the, to hurt you, to harm you, to destroy you. I have been in that situation a number of times. And to me, it's perfect. It's it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest spiritual attacks that I have felt over the years of leadership It's people trying to discredit you for some reason, one or the other. And they deliberately lie and spread false rumors about you. Has that ever happened to you? How do you respond? How do you handle that? Well, Nehemiah gives us a couple quick ways to do this. First, we see it in Nehemiah's answer in chapter six, verse eight. His answer is short. It's direct. He categorically denies it and he speaks the truth. He says this in verse eight. Then I said to him, saying, no such thing shall you say has been done for you are inventing, you are fabricating, you are making up these stories. He's saying like, man, you would be a good writer for Disney right now, right? Because you're just making up stuff. So he's short, he's direct, he, he, he confronts the lie with the truth. He doesn't have a, hey, let's go sit down and talk, let's try and work this out. He denies it, short, sweet, and speaks the truth. The second thing he does is what? Praise. Now again, should we be surprised that Nehemiah prays? No, this guy, as we already pointed out, in 10, chap- in 10 chapters out of the, the 12, he's praying. The 13, he's praying. He prays, he prays, he prays. Nehemiah is a man of prayer, long prayers, short prayers prayers he's constantly praying verse 9 for all they wanted to frighten us thinking that their hands will drop from this work and it will not be done but now oh god strengthen my hands he prays for strength strengthen my hands you are stronger we sang it this morning not only does this happened to nehemiah but again all these illustrations nehemiah points to us he's a type of christ we see the same thing happen to jesus don't we These false accusations, people making up lies about him that are jealous, that want to see him harmed, that want to see him killed, that see him him taken out of the picture. We see this in Mark chapter 14 before being arrested, and Jesus in the garden with his disciples, and what he's doing in the garden of seventy, He's praying, he's seeking the Lord. And then we see he gets arrested. He's betrayed by Judas with a kiss. And then in Mark 14.53, he's going through this kangaroo court. He's with the front of the chief priest. And this is what it says in Mark 14.53. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree And some stood up and bore false witness against him again. Constantly false witnesses. People standing up and trying to slander, character assassinate Jesus. How does Jesus respond? We already saw that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is what he says in Mark 14, 62. Jesus' response is short. It's to the point, and it's truth. This is what he says. They question, are you the Christ? And Jesus says, I am and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then from the rest of the night, He's silent. He doesn't speak again. He prays and he, ob- and he objects with short, sweet truth. So when someone is coming against you and trying to slander you, trying to assassinate your character, we pray. We category deny the, the accusation, short, sweet, to the truth, no arguments. And then you trust in the Lord and what He will do. Let Him fight and stand in your place. One thing I want to point out quickly, though, again, is Nehemiah's prayer. This is what we are to pray for when we feel the attacks of the enemy in this situation. Look again at Nehemiah 6-9 in the prayer. But now, O God, strengthen my hand. We we see that we don't have the strength in ourselves. We don't have the willpower in ourselves to confront these attacks. We might for a short season, but ultimately, it's going to get the best of us. We're going to get in the flesh. We're going to fight, and it's going to go wrong. Nehemiah. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that he, when he gets these attacks, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, give me the strength. Nehemiah. Paul, Jesus, they pray for strength. This is a strength that comes from outside of us, into us, to strengthen us. It is the Lord through the Spirit and the power of His Word that now strengthens us and gives us the abilities to fend off these attacks. So this is how we are to respond to these kind of attacks. We pray for the strength of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit and formed by His Word to get us through this trial. Listen, if you want physical strength, you go to the gym and you work out. If you want spiritual strength to fend off the attacks of Satan and the enemy, you pray. And I pray. And we should pray every single day. This should be our prayer every single day before we even get out of bed. Oh Lord, my God, please strengthen my hands. Because we're about to step out of those doors and there's going to be an enemy waiting to steal, kill, and destroy that we're going to need to confront. So we see that that's attack number one. The next two will go quickly. Tactics of the enemy attack number two is discredit the leader. Discredit you, the leader. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, 10 through 14. In these verses, we read about these false prophets who were hired by Tobiah and Sanballat to cause Nehemiah to sin, to sin, to discredit him. Look at verse 10. Now, when I went to the house of Shemiah the son of Delilah, the son of Menelabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. And now Nehemiah hears this and this could be a credible threat. Right? Here's these prophet prophets of God coming to Nehemiah and, and, and hey, they're coming to kill you. This isn't no this has been the threats before. They've come to want to kill the people, now they're coming for you, Nehemiah. This is a credible threat. So it's wise to 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 take this threat at face value. Nehemiah does, but the answer given to him, Nehemiah says, Oh, this sounds a little bit fishy. Kind of tipped Shemaiah's hand to Nehemiah. First, he says, the council is, hey, you need to run and hide. Now, Nehemiah is the leader. In chapter 4, when these same threats came against the people of God that were coming against you to murder you, to kill you, Nehemiah stood up like a great leader, and he gave this inspiring speech to the whole nation. He said, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will fight for you. Trust in the Lord. Get your eyes on the Lord and off of your circumstances. He will fight for you. I'm I'm paraphrasing. He will fight for you. So keep working. And if necessary, go to fight. Go to fight if necessary, if it comes to that. Pick up your sword, pick up your trowel, and keep working. So first, Nehemiah sniffs it out. She says, I'm not going to be a coward. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. When these same words came against the people of God, I told them to stand firm and believe in the Lord I'm not going to run now when it comes against me. I'm going to stand, form, stand firm and believe in the Lord. I'm not going to be a leader who tucks tails and runs. Leaders who, this is their example, do as I say, not as I do, our are leaders, our leaders not worth following. And Nehemiah didn't want to be that kind of leader. So that's number one. But the biggest reason why he, he fished out the bad counsel is that this prophet of God who's supposed to be speaking on behalf of God tells Nehemiah to go disobey God to save his life. Hey, you want to save your life? Here's the commands of God. Disobey those and go the opposite direction. Do exactly opposite of what God's Word says. You see, Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not allowed into the temple. Again, these little details matter. And when this little phrase, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, would indicate that he wanted to hide in the holy of holies. And we know from our study of exorcists that no one is allowed in the holies of holies except for one man, one time of year, and that's the high priest on the day of atonement. Otherwise, that's where the very presence of God is, and anyone that went in there would be instantly barbecued, would be instantly killed. And this is what this prophet of God is telling Nehemiah to do. Hey, disobey whatever God said to do. You go into the temple. Let's hide in the temple. Nehemiah said, no way, man. I'm not disobeying my God. Verse 13, again, Nehemiah sniffs out. He says, for this purpose, for this reason, he was hired. He's not a real prophet of God. He's a hired hand. Then I should be afraid and act in this way and what? Sin. So they could give me a bad name. So they could discredit me as a leader. In order to taunt me. That's the attack of the enemy. Attack of the enemy wants to discredit you. He wants to discredit you and your and your leadership capabilities. And I love Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's response: he highlights the perfection of God's word and what happens when we know and obey his commands. There's grace, there's mercy, there's joy, there's fruit, there's life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man and the woman may be complete, may be complete, equipped for every good work. We get the blessing of God not by disobeying His Word, but by obeying His Word, by following His Word. God's Word guides Nehemiah through this attack, and it should do the same for us. It did it for Jesus Remember, Jesus was in the, in the wilderness for 40 days, and all the attacks of the Satan came to Jesus, and what did he do? He answered with the Word of God. He answered with the Word of God. He answered with the Word of God. The Word of God was a lamp unto His feet and a light unto His path. The Word of God is what directed Him to joy and blessing, not disobeying it. Nehemiah, you and I overcome and triumph the attacks of the enemy, not by breaking God's commands, but by obeying them. So do you have a good grasp on God's Word? Do you know what he, His desires are for you? Nehemiah knew it. Jesus knows it. And this is why we go through books of the Bible and teach line by line, verse by verse. Again, are you coming under attack right now? Is maybe the enemy whispering in your ear and saying, hey, don't worry about God's commands. This is what you need to do right now to save your life. Don't worry about what the Scripture says. Let me kind of do this in a lighthearted way. How many of you guys got speeding tickets in here? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, I've gotten a couple. My wife has gotten more than I have, though. <laughs> Actually, that's a lie. Sorry. Forgive me. So I got a couple. I got this one. I'm I know exactly what the speed limit is. I'm going down. And and what's the first thought when you see those lights in the back? You know? Well, maybe you can't say what your first thought is when you see those lights in the back of you, right? And you have that sinking feeling in your heart, and you're like, oh gosh. And what do you what's what's maybe the third or you start to think of like, oh, what, what? how can I make something up to kind of get out of this? Anyone with me? Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, well, I'll just did good. So I get pulled over this one time. And again, I knew the speed limit. And the cop's like, hey, I caught you speed and whatever. I was like, oh, man, I didn't see the speed. I didn't know what the speed limit was. I started to lie to get myself out, right? And the scripture says, do not lie. I'm like, okay. So I lie, trying to get out. think it's going to save me. And all of a sudden, the cop wants to start up a conversation. He goes, oh. He goes, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a teacher. He goes, oh, that's interesting. What, what do you teach? I said, uh, history. He goes, oh, w- w- where do you teach? And I'm like, busted, right? A church. And it's just like the Lord saying, hey, don't, don't disobey my word to get out of something. Just just own it, and so it's the same here with Nehemiah. Again, we don't disobey God to get out of the attacks. We we obey God's word no matter what it happens. That takes us to attack three: the tactics of the enemy. Consistently, we see these attacks on the leader. It's a constant. From so the, the moment you're born to the moment you die, you're going to be if you're in the kingdom, if you're a Christian, um, you're going to have an enemy. And his whole bent is to steal, is to kill and destroy you. That's his goal. And we see this in Nehemiah in um, um, chapter 6, 15 through 19. Despite all the opposition, Nehemiah and the people of God finished the wall. They finished the wall in this chapter. But notice verses 17 through 19. The enemies again keep coming and coming, even though the wall has been built. Nehemiah 6.19b says, And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. And again, this shouldn't surprise us. Our enemy is relentless. He's ruthless. And he will never give up as long as he has the ability to deceive you and me and try to get us off the path. Peter says that he's a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what he does day in and day out as he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's also known as... Uh, Satan, the devil, he's an accuser. He's a slanderer. He's constantly trying to destroy us. In Luke 4, we see the same thing. It happened to Nehemiah. Again, it's happening to Jesus. Again, we looked at Jesus in the 40 days in the wilderness. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, again, against Jesus, it says he departed from him. And there's no period there, but it goes on and says this. Satan departed from him until an opportunity arose. So even against Jesus, after he has 40 days getting attacked by Satan, he's overcoming every single attack with Scripture, by faith, the devil goes away till, until another opportunity. And that's the same with us. We may come in contact, may be attacked by the enemy, we may overcome him, but he's not done. He's just going to regroup, recalibrate, and come back to try and knock you off the horse again somehow. He's going to—he—he's studying you. He's watching you. He knows your tendencies. He knows your fleshly desires, and he's going to attack again at the opportune time against you. And you have to have your head on the swivel. You have to be alert. You have to be watchful, as Peter goes on to say. Just like Nehemiah. Just like Jesus, the enemy will keep on coming, keep on coming, keep on coming, keep on coming because he understands the influence you have with those who don't know Jesus. He understands the power of the gospel. He understands that you hold the message of life. And he wants to do everything possible to knock you off the horse so those non-believers say, yep, see, that stuff doesn't work. He's a hypocrite. He doesn't really believe that. He's just trying to say that, trying to control you. The attacks are constant over and over and over again. We can all attest to those. But here's the good news. Despite all the attacks, despite all the enemy's efforts to to get Nehemiah and the people to stop building the wall, God still built the wall. And, and, And it's the same with you. Again, we have a mission. God has called you and I on a mission. He's given you a purpose. When the people of God start building the kingdom of God, there's going to be opposition, but there's nothing the enemy can do to stop the purposes of God. And that should give us great hope. Isaiah 14 says this, the Lord has a purpose and who can, who can stop it? It's a rhetorical question. No one can. The Lord is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. John 10.10 says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the thief comes to do. That's what the enemy comes to drill. But it doesn't matter because Jesus said, I've come to give you life that you may have it in abundance. The wall got built. Look at verse 15. So the wall was finished despite the attacks. The, the big general attacks on the people. The the softball attacks on Nehemiah, the hardball attacks on Nehemiah, the verbal threats, the physical threats, doesn't matter. The wall gets built because nothing can thwart God's purposes. So the wall was built in fifty-two days. These walls were broke down for decades. People tried to, to to rebuild them and they got stopped. Not anymore. The walls got built in 52 days, as we pointed out in Nehemiah. From Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah spends four months praying before he makes a move. He spent more, more time praying than he did building the wall. And when God's behind it, he moves and he moves quickly. And look at verse 16. And when all of our enemies, all the surrounding enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived... And rightly perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They gave credit where credit was due. They they, they looked and saw what the people of God did in 52 days and were amazed. And they can only ascribe it to the power of their God working in them. Yahweh moving his people. So that should give us hope. But I want to point out, I want you to notice the motive behind all these attacks. Why does the enemy attack Nehemiah? Why does the enemy attack the people of God? Why does the enemy attack you? What is his main motive? His main motive is to produce fear in you. His main motive is is, is to paralyze you by making you afraid. Look at verse 9. They wanted to frighten us. Look at verse 14. To make us afraid. Look at verse 19. To make us afraid. Every attack that the enemy comes against you is trying to do something in you and that's try to put fear in your heart. It's trying to paralyze you with fear. Because he understands what a powerful emotion that is. In fact, if you look at our society, our society is built on fear. A lot of it is built on fear. And we should not be surprised because the Bible says that, the, that Satan is the prince of this world. And this is his primary tactic, to make you and I afraid. He attacks us to make us afraid so that it will debilitate us and, and stop us doing the work. Trying to create fear in your heart, fear in our society. Just take a look at the news, social media. Everything is, is negative. Economic crisis, national disasters, food shortages, disease outbreaks, nuclear threats, TV, commercials. It's all about identity theft, home invasion, life-threatening diseases. Now again, all the political parties saying, if you elect this guy, this is the devil incarnate, right? A lot of our society is built on fear, is to make you afraid, to make you make decisions based on fear, not love. As we know, personally, by experience, all of us in here, that fear can be debilitating. Fear can wreck our lives, can wreck our decision-making, can wreck our health, can't sleep. All of a sudden, we we, we keep worrying. We, we We look inward and not upward. It steals our joy. We lose sleep. We start making decisions on hypothetical situations that don't even exist. We make them up in our own minds because fear has gripped our heart. And we say, well, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, if this happens, and all of a sudden none of that has happened, yet we're making decisions on what just happened. And nothing's happening. Fear wrecks us. The enemy understands this, Or it paralyzes us to a point where we can't make any decisions. Right? Anybody with me in here? Same tactic in Nehemiah's day as it is in ours. The enemy wants to make you afraid. He wants to produce fear in your heart. But again, the good news is he can't thwart the plan of God. So what do we do? How do you overcome fear? Well, let's look what Nehemiah did. He gives us some great principles. First, he does what James did, even written James of years, he says thousands of years later, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's that's number one. We don't look inward, we look, we don't look inward, we look upward. Remember, we go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. He reminds himself who this God is. Nehemiah 1, O oh Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loves His people with a steadfast love. That's number one. That same promise for Nehemiah and the people of Israel today is the same promise for you. That we have a great and awesome God who spoke and created you in this world. And He has covenanted with us if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ. He is your Father. You are His child. And nothing can snatch you out of His hand. And He loves you with an everlasting, perfect love and will do everything possible to bless you, to keep you. So that's the first thing. We remind ourselves on who God is and what His promises are for us. Secondly, we again, for the people of Nehemiah, what they had to do, they just had to wake up, walk out their door, and what they see? They saw the wall. They had a physical representation of the love of God for them, the protection of God for them by the building of the wall. They got up every morning and went out and saw the wall. Again, for decades, for hundreds of years, the wall was not there. And now they walk out 52 days later and they see the wall. They see the protection. They see the love of God. They saw what God did through them. They gave Him glory. And they received their joy. Again, they had a tangible reminder of God's perfect and steadfast covenant love. And so do we. We have a very visible... Image of that as well. But again, God's perfect covenant love in Nehemiah's day and our day does what? What does perfect love do? What does John say it does? 1 John chapter 4 says, Perfect love what? Casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Who loves perfectly in this world? There's only one. It's Yahweh, it's Christ. It's our daddy. He loves you. He loves me perfectly. How do we know that he loves us? How do we know that he loves us? Because he sent his son to die on the cross for us. He sent his son to die on the cross for God. So loved the world that he gave his son. First John four ten. We love because God first loved us. And what? And sent His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. How do we know God loves us? Because He sent His Son to be sacrificed for you and I. To die the death that you should have died, that I should have died. He died in our place. So how do you know? The Son of God died for you. He was sent out of heaven and He died on the cross for you. Michael Mansoor was a Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. There's a new ship um, that's named after him, the USS Michael Mansoor. He was up on a roof with a couple of his teammates, or a sniper overwatch, and all of a sudden, the enemy knew they was there, and a grenade came up over on the wall. He had the opportunity to jump off to save himself, but instead, he dove on the grenade. He died. He he, he saved his teammates. He sacrificed for himself so that they may live. Do you think they thought, hmm, I wonder if Michael loved us? No. They knew exactly how he felt about them, that he loved them. Why? Because he gave up his life for them. If if a, a human being is able to do that from another human being, what about the Son of God doing that for you? How much does that declare his love for you? And for me, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But it gets even better than that. He was sent, he was sacrificed, but it accomplished something. Again, it accomplished our salvation. Look at, look at Nehemiah again, verse 15 again. So the wall was finished. So look at of that word, finished. That is the same word in the the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. That, That same word was used of Jesus on John 19 when it said that Jesus was up on the cross and He declared, it is finished. God secured our salvation. Jesus secured our salvation on the cross. And so the people... People in Nehemiah's day, they got to wake up and walk outside the door and see the wall. If we we want to cast out fear in our hearts, we get up and we don't look to a wall, we look to the cross. Perfect love that casts out fear. We see what the Son of God did for you and for me. He was sent, he was sacrificed so that we may be saved. Therefore, when you fear anxiety, when you feel it, the worry, the fear, the being afraid starts to well up in your soul, and you and you wonder if God really cares. You wonder if God, are you there? Do you see what's happening? I need help. Again, you don't look to the wall, you look to the cross. This is what God's perfect love does. Again, he was sent to be sacrificed so that we may be saved. It is finished. Nothing else has to be done. We look to Jesus. In Jesus, we have perfect protection from our greatest enemy, sin, death, and hell. And then we have the the word that says that he will lose none of us. Those that repent and trust in him, he will lose none of us. And then we have the promise that all things happen for the good to those who love Him are called to as a purpose. That is something we can bank our life in, whether we're in a valley right now. A lot of us might be in a valley right now. We have nowhere else to look. We have fear. Where do we look? We look to the cross. We look to the promises of God in our lives. We look to Genesis 50-20, what man has meant for evil. What? God has meant for good. God turned the fear that He... that the enemies of God against the people of God, he turned that fear, what they were trying to produce, he turned it on his head and gave them a a fear of hope, a righteous fear. Some of you in here again are gripped by fear right now. And what you need to do is just look to the cross. Look to the perfect love that was demonstrated in your place, that the Son of Man was sent and sacrificed for your salvation, and that's where you need to look. Some of you in here don't have the security of that protection of Christ and His blood that covers your sin. And you need for the first time, you need, to, you need to repent of your sin. You need to trust in Him and His life, His death, and His resurrection for your salvation. So that you may be secure in Christ, that you may be saved. That's ultimately what Nehemiah in this chapter is about. The people of God doing a great work for God. The enemy of God comes to oppose them, but the enemy can do nothing to thwart him and thwart his purposes. And the reason why is because God is on His throne moving all things to an end. And that's the redemption of His people in Christ Jesus for His glory and for your and I joy and salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for... These little wisdom principles, these kingdom ethics that help us from the attacks of the enemy. Lord, we know that those of us that are in Christ will, will constantly be barraged with attack after attack after attack. And Lord, uh, it's not in our own strength where we find hope, it's first in prayer and acknowledging who you are, seeking your strength by the power of your Spirit, informed by your word, and doing it in community. And ultimately, when that fear comes up, which it will, in all of our hearts, Lord, that we don't look to a war, we don't look to our own ability, but again, we look to the cross. We look to the Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent in sacrifice for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.